Right now, let's pray and glorify our Lord. Lord Jesus, indeed, You are glorious. You are the one that is worthy of all praise. And God, I pray that right now You would open our ear lids so that we would have ears to hear and hearts to live as You have called us to live. Bless us, Jesus, by removing from us those things that would distract us from hearing Your Word and becoming more and more the men and women of God You have created us to be. We love You, Jesus. Amen. On February 26, 2006, my family and I came here and we did our tryouts Sunday. You know, try out for the baseball team. You, you go in there and you throw a few balls. So in the morning we came and we sat through the service and we loved it. And we walked down the hall to pick up our son Nathan at the four-year-old class. And standing at the door with his arm around Isaac Barr, and Isaac Barr with his arm around Nathan, they said, we're best buds. And ten years later, they still are. And I give glory to God for that, and I'm excited. That evening, we came back, and I preached from 2 Peter chapter 1, 3-11. I remember because this is such a pivotal passage for me. And I went, and I dug through my computer, and I even found the document on my computer, but it was corrupted, and I couldn't open it. So you today are getting a completely fresh sermon. But what you're not going to get is something new. The gospel is 2,000 years old. And if a preacher is preaching something new, then it ain't true. And if it's true, then it ain't new. It is my goal. In fact, it is always my goal to preach something and to teach something that will nourish you, that will strengthen you in the struggle that it is to be Christ-like. Does that surprise you? It is a struggle to be Christ-like, is it not? James says, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Paul echoes, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fighting is not a spectator sport. But Paul also says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. Friends, I want you to hear one thing today. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. This morning we're going to look at one of my very favorite passages in the Bible. It is one of my favorite passages because it gives me hope. Have you ever felt like you needed hope? 
trying to live like Christ in this world. Anybody ever feel that way? This passage, the Bible as a whole, tells me that Christ, living a Christ-like life is a struggle. And the struggle is possible. The struggle is winnable. Because it is God who is at work in us and through us to make us be the men and women He has created us to be. This is how Peter says it in his passage, starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through these promises you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. Self-control, steadfastness. Steadfastness, godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice as we read read this passage, there's kind of a push and a pull going on at the same time. There's this balance that Peter is striving to achieve. In verse 3, he says, God's divine power has granted to us. He is the one who works. He has granted to us, in verse 4, His precious and very great promises. Verse 10, your election and calling that God has elected and called you to. And verse 11, there will be richly not sparingly, but richly, overwhelmingly um, provided for you. These are promises you can trust because it is God who works. It is God who gives. It is God who provides for you in this holiness, in this pursuit of righteousness. And because He works, because He gives, and because He provides, you and I can work as well. Notice verse 5. Make every effort to supplement. Verse 10. Be all the more diligent to confirm your election and calling. Peter is making it crystal clear that you and I need to put effort into our Christ-like life. Because grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is is opposed to earning. Let's break down our passage and see where you and I can best invest our efforts. Our first point is trust the promises of God for you in Christ. I'm going to start in verse 3. Where it says, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious 
and very great promises, so that through these promises you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. These three verses are the good news. They are what we need to know to be saved. Only this understanding of what it is to be saved is grossly misunderstood in modern American evangelicalism. It is woefully deficient from the biblical understanding of what it means to serve and love and trust and hope in Jesus Christ. In fact, I would go so far as to say that many in today's culture have a magical view of salvation. What do I mean by that? Magic in the Middle Ages was this belief system that if you said the right words or you did the right things, then you would strong arm, so to speak, the spirits to do something for you. Many today believe that you can do something or say something and God will be strong armed into saving you. For example... If you believe that you are saved because you prayed a prayer, or if you believe that you are saved because you walked down an aisle, neither of which is found in the Bible, by the way, then you have a magic view of salvation. God is no magician. Instead, we find here four points in this passage. Firstly, we are saved in verse 3 because His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. My friends, we need to recognize immediately God is the one whose power is operative in our salvation. God works. We benefit. And that is good news. Secondly, we are saved in verse 3 through the knowledge of Him. This is not a popular saying. If you go out on the street corner and say what I'm about to say, people are going to look at you and laugh. They'll scoff at you. They might throw things at you. But there is a content to what we believe. God spoke, and it is incumbent upon us that we believe what He said about Himself and what He says about us. You have to believe in the Jesus of the Bible and not your own personal Jesus that you mix and mash together from what you read on the internet. The third point, next, we are saved in verse 4 by trusting God's promises. You are saved because God quickened your heart. He breathed life into your heart so that you could believe his promises so that you could trust what he says is true about you today. You must put your confidence in a person, namely Jesus, who has spoken specific things so that we could become the men and women of God that he wants us to be. So we go to the Bible. We learn what they are. And then we believe them. We believe them by mulling them over in our heads and turning them in there so that they kind of form a rut and they stay in our minds. And then we act as if they are true. We trust them. Which leads us exactly 
to our fourth point that Peter makes in verse 5. He says, we've escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Now this part is a promise very much for our future. We haven't got there yet. No one is living in sinless perfection yet. But it is also a path. It is a direction that we need to set our hearts and minds to achieve. Saying, I walked an aisle, or saying that I prayed a prayer is not bad. It's just not enough. Listen, how many of us have our attitudes and our feelings, our emotions changed ten times a day? You know what I'm talking about? And if you base your salvation on your attitudes or emotions or feelings from 25 years ago, man, you're toast. It ain't going to work for you. Because one of a couple of things is going to happen. You're either going to start doubting that that really happened 25 years ago, and you're going to constantly be fretting about it, or you're going to put your faith in something that doesn't exist. It's just missed, and Satan is going to have you right where he wants you. I don't want either of those to be true for you. Instead, we put our hope in a relationship that God has given to us that is a living relationship, one that is going throughout day by day, and we put this gospel into life, into our hearts, because the Lord puts it there, and we trust now, not then, not even so much in the future, but right now we trust that His promises are true for us. Because grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, is the promise that you can trust. Grace is also us desiring and doing God's will. It is that pursuit of holiness. Let's get to our second point. Spare no effort to grow. We get this, verse 5. For this very reason, because of the promises that God has made, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Grace is not opposed to effort. Peter commands us by the word of the Lord to make every effort. And I can do no better than to quote Jerry Bridges and what he says about this. He says, We must always remember, though, that the practice of these disciplines... He's talking about Bible study, Scripture memorization, meditating on God's Word. The practice of these disciplines does not earn us any favor with God. We've we got to make that absolutely clear. We don't earn anything because of grace. It is helpful to distinguish between two things, between a meritorious cause of God's blessing and an instrumental cause. I know these are big words. Hang with me. The meritorious cause is always the merit of Christ. 
We can never add to what He has already done to procure God's blessings in our lives. That is absolutely true and we've got to rest on that. And the instrumental cause, however, is the means or the avenues that God has ordained us to use. God clearly sets forth certain disciplines for us to practice in this pursuit of holiness. And as we practice them, God will use them in our lives. Not because we have earned His blessings, but because we have followed His ordained path of blessings. We don't get God's grace. We don't earn God's grace because we do specific things. But God gives us grace as we walk along the path that He has called us to walk, doing the things that He calls us to do. You see, grace is opposed to earning. God is the one who gives grace and faith and all these spiritual gifts He talked about, and you don't earn a gift. And that should make you happy. You don't have to earn it. Because I know for me, I am a long ways from earning anything. Fear not, good Christian. We are saved by grace through faith due to the meritorious work of God, Christ. He has done what we can never hope to add to. Fear not, good Christian. We are blessed also with a number of things that He calls us to. Bible study, prayer, fellowship, service and outreach so that we can walk along the path that He is giving us the grace along. Grace is always opposed to effort. Grace is, never, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Now let's take a step back here for a second. If you say, I am saved by grace through faith, and you should say that because that is true, then as you are walking in this faith, as you are living this life that God calls you to, that He is giving you the blessings to do, then you will live in such a way that you show that you have this faith, that you are anticipating the blessings that God gives to you. As you and I live out that faith, first by knowing God's promises, by reading His Word, then by meditating on them, bouncing them around in your mind, letting them make furrows and ruts so that the wheels of your life goes right there and is rock steady, then you will also trust the promises of God for you in Christ. But this won't happen easily. How many of you have ever struggled through the day to make time to pray? How many of you have ever struggled in the day to love your neighbor because they're just such a bozo? Yeah, that might not be the word you use, but I thought I would use a culturally pulpit acceptable word. God has carefully designed a process that He Himself has made so that we can walk in this path and receive the blessings that He has given to us. And you will need to make every effort. You will need to make every effort to fight the negative influence in the world about you. And you will need to make every effort to fight for the positive influence of God's Word in your life. This is what we call making disciple, making disciples. It is hard work. And listen, if you're not working hard in your walk with Christ... 
you might not really be walking with Christ. Because you and I may need to even be violent with ourselves, cutting off hands, gouging out eyes. Or, as a very enigmatic verse in Matthew chapter 11 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven is being attacked from every angle. Man, I don't even need to say that, do I? Because you know that's true in your heart. You see it every single day around you. And if you are going to be a citizen in the kingdom of God, you have got to engage in spiritual hand-to-hand combat, do you not? This is a hard world to live in. And we are being violently attacked, and so we need to violently defend for our joy and for the glory of God. How do we do that? What are we talking about here? Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not AR-15s and AK-47s. They are not the weapons of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. What kind of stronghold, Paul? We destroy arguments. Not people, but we think with our minds. And we destroy the arguments of the enemy and show the people around us their folly. What else? And we destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Lord, I know that I haven't purged all those out of my heart because my opinion of myself is pretty high sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Oh my goodness, what, what does this mean? Whose thoughts, first of all, do we need to take captive? Well, first and foremost, I need to take my thoughts captives. Do you know that you are the most influential person in your life? Because you never stop talking to yourself. Right? So how are we to take every thought captive? The Word of God. Because this is what the world is fighting against. And it is by going to God's Word that we can be strengthened and built up so we understand what, was, what we're fighting against. And so we can breathe grace into whatever situation we're facing. That's crazy, Pastor Greg. What are you talking about? No one lives like that. Well, you might be right. But the violently, the righteously violent can and must. And we take a deep breath and we breathe and we realize that there is good news. And the good news is that not only does God promise to work for you and in you, but as Peter says, if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they render you neither unfruitful nor ineffective in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Of course, 
the battle isn't just against deceitful thoughts. I was mindful several times this week that there are people in this room right now who are suffering greatly. You're suffering not just because of the battle outside in our culture, but you're battling because of illness. I know some of you are battling because of disappointment in your family. I know that there are some of you in this room right now who are battling because you have that sin that has been hanging onto your heart and has been dragging you down. And you've told me that. And part of the violent warfare that we need to have is to grab onto and cling to and run back to over and over and over again that you are not saved by what you do. You are not saved by how good you are or how good looking you are because man, I would be in trouble. You are saved by grace through faith. Here's an illustration. Let's look at these pictures as if they're these qualities as if they're a pie. Faith, add your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Let's these spiritual gifts, let's look at them as if they're a pie. And if you have the pie, it is because God gave you that pie. All right? So you have this pie and you're going through life and you meet up with some struggle. And that struggle happens, and let's say, as you've heard me say many times, that as you go through life and you're paying attention, you will know God better. And here's the knowing God better growing. As you know God better, you will also automatically, by definition, love God more and trust Him more. Most of you have heard me say this before. This is the passage where I get that. Because as the piece of knowledge pie gets bigger, what Peter is saying here is that the whole thing is getting bigger. And so your love for God gets bigger because you've seen Him work. And you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise Jesus because you have shown me yourself. And then you trust Him more. Your faith grows. And that pie gets bigger. This is what Peter is saying in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me caution you for a second. Time out just for a second. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but my pie is only this big. And Billy Graham's pie is this big. That might be true. I don't know. But what Peter is saying here is that you have a pie and that your pie is growing. And unlike cake, you can have your pie and eat it too. But we got to get back. We got to get back to the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel it is the Lord who puts that pie into your heart. Who is the spiritual gift pie baker? Well, God the Spirit, of course. And who is it that makes it grow? Well, what we find out is that it's a God, the Spirit, who is working in us and through us and for us to both desire and to do the disciplines that lead to this pursuit of holiness that we want to be on. So who does it? Well, I'll give you a hint. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. I've been alluding so far in this sermon to two different verses. Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not 
of yourself, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we, and then he continues, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation comes from God the Father and He saves us so that we will grow in Him. So that we will walk on this path of righteousness. So that we will pursue holiness. So that we can make every effort. So that we will do good works. In Philippians 2, Paul also says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will, desire, and to work, do His good pleasure. It says Christ created, created in Christ Jesus for good works, and then God works in you to will and to work. I want to tell you something. This might offend some of you. It might offend me too, actually, now that I think about it. Christianity is not a do-nothing religion. If you are simply coming to church and sitting and getting your daily vitamin pill of sermon each week, you might not be a Christian. Now, praise Jesus, I'm nobody's judge, okay? I'm not, it's not me. But Christianity is not a do-nothing religion. If it doesn't affect how you live at work, at home, at the store, and the, when you're driving down the road, you have to ask, is it inside you? Is it real? Have you really trusted God's promises? You can work, Christian. You can grow, Christian. You can walk down this path of righteousness, Christian. You can Pursue holiness, Christian, because God is at work in you and through you and for you. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So we've said so far, trust the promises of God for you. And then we said, spare no effort to grow. And then now we need to diligently demonstrate God's work. Verse 10, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to review this, the logic of this passage. Peter says that God is the one whose power is necessary for you to live and to pursue holiness. So... If that's true, if it's God who's given you the power, do it. Just trust His promises. Then, Peter says that you work with God. You exert all you can to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to borrow Jesus' phrase. We must spare no effort to grow in Christ. Then in these last two verses, Peter calls on you and me to demonstrate what God began and worked in and through you in such a way so that everyone around you, including yourself, will see that you do in fact trust Him and that you're living proof of that trust. You see, if I am going to live a 
successful Christian life, if I am really going to image Christ on earth, if I am going to bring Him glory and joy to my heart, then I'm going to need assurances. I'm going to need things shown to me that I can believe that I belong to God's kingdom as a citizen. Back to the problem of modern American evangelicalism. If my salvation is based on walking an aisle or praying a prayer, then I just have nothing. I have a memory that might not even be true. Instead, I have something far better than that. I have the Holy Spirit living and moving and in and through and for me so that I can see that He is alive and well in me. My friends, I am not judging anybody in this room. I fall on my face every single day. Praise Jesus, I am not God. But I am a messenger. And one of the messages that we find in the Bible is to examine yourself, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course you fail to meet the test. God does not call you to be fruitful. We don't make fruit grow on our own branches, but He does call us to be faithful. And in every culture, faithfulness requires making every effort to pursue holiness because God's grace is not opposed to effort. God's grace is opposed to earning. Here's my memory verse this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You can work. You can intentionally, thoughtfully, prayerfully disciplingly grow in your pursuit of holiness. And you can do it because God Himself is working in you and for you and through you. So, for example, are you frustrated by your lack of growth in loving somebody at work? Common enough problem. Therefore, trust God to make His grace abound to you so that you will be sufficient to love your brother. Are you disappointed in the fight against some sin that has doggedly clung onto your heart for years? Common enough problem. Trust that God makes His grace abound to you so that you can pick yourself up off the floor when you fail and keep moving forward. Are you despairing because your child has walked away from the Lord or someone in your family just stubbornly refuses. Trust that God is able to make all grace in all things at all times so that you can share this love with your family member who has walked away from the Lord. Then, as you are trusting, love that coworker. Pick yourself up off the failure and move forward. And trust that God loves your family member more than you do. And live 
like you know that's true. Because grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Let us pray. Lord, this is a particularly hard lesson for us to learn because we always fall into one or two, one of two errors, and that is to do nothing and to think that everything depends on us, and both are untrue. God, give us the grace that we need to understand the balance and to trust, Lord, that you are indeed working in us and through us, and then to move forward, knowing that you are with us and working in us and through us and for us. In Jesus' name, amen.